Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Two, one. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer. Jim Calhoun, NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Welcome Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Welcome in episode 505 of the podcast. It's America, the Earnhardt Sports Podcast. It is Friday, March 11th, 2022, people. I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody's having a great day. I hope everybody's ready for a loaded episode of the Eritor Sports Podcast. And if I got an extra pep in my step today, it's for good reason. It is now Friday of Champ Week. We are coming. Champ Week's my favorite week of the year. The Thursday of Champ Week is my favorite day of the year as one tournament after the other after the other goes on. It is officially after midnight on Thursday into Friday as I get set to record here. Here's what you need to know about today's show. Obviously, with Champ Week ongoing, there's a lot of moving parts. So I figured rather than breaking down, hey, what does UConn versus Seton Hall mean? Or what does Alabama versus Vanderbilt mean? Instead, what we're going to do is we're going to keep it generic. I'm going to talk about the number one seed picture, which was shaken up on Thursday with Baylor's loss, the teams that I think ultimately end up with the number one seeds. We'll talk a little bit of bubble, and then we'll talk about our boy, Tom Crean, who is finally mercifully out of a job. Where does Georgia go from here? We'll talk a little bit about that. Finally, we will wrap the show. Matt McMahon, head coach, Murray State. Murray State is 30-2. and two probably one of the two or three best record in college basketball actually now that I think about it ahead of Gonzaga which has three losses Murray State they're going to be a team that you need to pay attention to in the bracket next week but Matt McMahon the head coach of Murray State does join me to end the show with that said let's get to the topic of the day but before we even get to the topic of the day as a matter of fact let me say this March Madness is here and it is time for you and your friends and some of your enemies too, to fill out an NCAA tournament bracket. Last year, I told you there was a new and better website for March Madness called Bracket Fanatics. They are back and better than ever, ready to provide you a bracket experience unlike any other at BracketFanatics.com. Bracket Fanatics is similar to Yahoo and ESPN in that players can invite friends and make their selections for the tournament, but here's what makes Bracket Fanatics different. First of all, they take out all the hard parts of running a bracket. When you start your pool, you set your pool entry fee and payouts, Everyone that joins your bracket then pays the entry fee on the website. No clicking over here, no asking your friends, no chasing out people for money. They pay right on the website. 
Once March Madness ends, Bracket Fanatics will send the pool payouts to the winners for you. No chasing down doors from accounting for the last $10 so you could pay the winner of your pool. And if you decide you want to collect and distribute the pool payout yourself, you can as well. It's also worth noting you don't have to have a payout structure. You could do a free pool on BracketFanatics.com. But if there is an entry pool fee, Bracket Fanatics does all the hard work for you, collects it, distributes for you. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to take money. You don't have to give money, nothing like that. Even better, you can also make side bets on BracketFanatics.com with your friends and family all tournament long, all through BracketFanatics.com. Even if your bracket is busted after the first weekend, who cares? Hit up your buddy, grab a Sweet 16 game, an Elite game, an elite 8 game, and just go ahead and make a side bet with your friends. Make all back all the money you lost at the beginning. Individual bets, BracketFanatics and BracketFanatics.com. And of course, I should mention, the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast Bracket Pool will be through BracketFanatics.com. So not only do you guys and girls need to set up your own pools on BracketFanatics.com, but also... The Aaron Torres podcast pool will be available only and exclusively at BracketFanatics.com. We will have some incredible prizes, including, as I told you, $500 Buffalo Wild Wings gift card. That's courtesy. BracketFanatics helps set that up. So go ahead, BracketFanatics.com. This is the only place that you want to run your pool here in March. Go to BracketFanatics.com. All the payouts done there. The bracket pay, the website pays out for you. And, of course, you can make side bets all tournament long bracketfanatics.com that is the place to go this march thank you to bracket fanatics and with that said let's get to the topic of the day and the topic of the day let me just say this i just said it a minute ago but i'm going to say it again because i'm so fired up it's after midnight we're now into friday of champ week but champ week is my favorite week of the year Single favorite week of the year, games all day, every day. You win, you play the next day. There's no waiting Thursday to Saturday, all that crap. And it has been an awesome, awesome, awesome champ week so far, and it is only going to get better as a lot of really good teams haven't even actually played as I record here. Uh, the, the four top four teams in the SEC, Auburn, Tennessee, Kentucky, and Arkansas, they all tip off on Friday. The top four teams in the Big Ten, Purdue, Illinois, Wisconsin, and Rutgers, all tip off on Friday. So what I decided to do on today's show, I want to do something a little bit different, is I could obviously react to what I have seen, and we will do a little bit of reaction here throughout this segment, but rather than react and talk about, well, UConn won, and what does it mean? And it's like, well, UConn plays tomorrow, and by the time you guys and girls listen, unfortunately, I say this as a UConn fan, it might not mean much. Same with Iowa, same with uh, you know Indiana, who we're going to talk about. And so rather than hitting on individual games and, oh my goodness, this was the biggest win since blah. No, rather than doing that, what I want to do is two very generic topics here off the top. And what I want to talk about is what has happened so far and what it means specifically for two things. The number one seed line and the bubble, you know, the bubble picture, right? And I don't claim to be a bracketologist and it's something we've talked about a lot on this show. I think I do a good job of, of, of kind of sharing with you guys and girls what I'm good at and what I'm not. And so in January, if you guys and girls are asking me about seed lines and number one seeds and all that stuff, I don't think that I'm necessarily the guy. But with whatever we are now, 48 hours till Selection Sunday, it feels like the picture is starting to clear. Many of you are asking me. And so now it feels like the right time to start talking about number one seeds, bubble teams, all that good stuff. And so with that said, let's start with the number one seeds. And let me say this. 
Uh, there was some big news on Thursday as it relates to the number one seeds as Baylor loses, and we'll talk about them in a minute. But as far as the number one seed picture is concerned, let's get into it, and let's start with a team that everybody loves to criticize, the Gonzaga Bulldogs. And listen, if you want to argue that Gonzaga doesn't play anybody and they're not tough and they're not this and they're not that, you do whatever the heck you want. All I'm telling you, though, is this. This is not really the year to do it because as I record here on Thursday night, Gonzaga is tied for the most quad one wins. Remember, and and I'm going to use a lot of quad one, quad two, quad three. Remember, quad one are the best wins that you can have against the top teams. Obviously, it's a sliding scale. If you win on the road, it counts more as opposed to winning at home in terms of the number of teams. It's it's complicated, but it's not. Quad one wins are the best wins you can have all the way down to quad two, quad three, quad four. And then quad one is also the best losses you can have as well. So taking a quad one loss are losing to the best teams in college basketball as opposed to quad two, quad three, quad four. And so when it comes to Gonzaga, I'll be honest, you know, we talked on Monday's show to, I guess it was Wednesday's show about champ week, about all the possibilities. And I did think coming into this week that there was at least a possibility that Gonzaga could lose the number one overall seed. So coming into the week, I think it was pretty much consensus. Gonzaga is going to be the number one seed in the NCAA tournament if they just win the West Coast Conference. And I kind of thought, okay, if they lose in one of those games in the West Coast Conference tournament, I think it's at least possible that they fall to, they'll still be a number one seed, but they won't be the number one overall seed. Well, They took care of St. Mary's, they took care of San Francisco in the semifinals, and now Gonzaga, I believe, has gone ahead and wrapped up the number one overall seed, okay? As I just said a minute ago, you can criticize some things about Gonzaga, you could talk about what the conference is, who they play, this, that, the other thing. I don't think this is the year to criticize Gonzaga's resume. If you want to say they're not good enough to win it all, that's a different conversation. But the resume this year is pretty much on par with anybody in large part because the conference is really good, okay? So St. Mary's right now is probably projecting to be about a 5-6-7 seed. They were ranked in the top 25 for most of the year. They picked up some really quality wins in the Ada Conference, most notably against Notre Dame in the Maui Invitational. They took care of Oregon in the same event. They, they have some really solid wins in the Ada Conference, and so St. Mary's took care of business, and they're going to be a 5-6 seed. San Francisco as well is going to get an at-large bid, and they were considered a quad one win. And so when you look at Gonzaga, thanks to the conference being better, Gonzaga's resume is now better, and that's on top of everything they did out of conference. Obviously, out of conference, they lost to Duke, they lost to Gonzaga, or they lost to uh, Duke, and they lost to Alabama. But look at who else they took care of in the out of conference. They took care of UCLA out of conference. They took care of Texas Tech out of conference. They took care of Texas out of conference. And so when you add in those wins with the three wins over San Francisco, which are all quad one wins, and the two wins over St. Mary's, which are both quad one wins, I believe that Gonzaga has done enough to get the number one overall seed. As I said, 10 quad one wins tied for the most in college basketball coming into the day on Thursday. And I believe they have all but locked up the number one seed. I expect them to stay out west. They'll probably play in Portland, Oregon. And then the West Regional, I believe, is in San Francisco this year. So that's one NCAA tournament number one seed. That's locked up. Gonzaga won their conference tournament. They have no more games to play before the NCAA tournament. And so Gonzaga, I believe, has locked up a number one seed. Beyond that, what I would say is this. 
I do believe that Arizona has all but locked up the second number one seed, okay? I thought on one hand, if they were, if Gonzaga were to lose in their conference tournament and Arizona were to win out, I thought there was at least the possibility that Gonzaga, or that Arizona could move up to the number one overall seed, but I never believed that they could fall off the number one line, and that's essentially what has happened with Arizona. Arizona took care of business in their quarterfinal against Stanford. I do think it's worth noting, by the way, when it comes to Arizona, they had what looked like a pretty bad injury to their star point guard, Kerr Creasa, late in the game, one minute left. Arizona wasn't playing great, I will say that. But Kerr Creasa went up for a rebound, comes down, rolls his ankle. As I record here a little bit after midnight on two, on Thursday night, we have no update. I do not expect him to play in the Pac-12 tournament. And as we get set to fill out our NCAA tournament brackets going forward, I think that's something we got to consider is whether he's going to be healthy enough to play in this tournament. It did not look good. But Arizona, I believe, with the win on Thursday, even without the win, I thought they were fine to be in position to get a a. Uh, a number one seed. Again, if Gonzaga had lost, I thought they could potentially get to the number one overall seed, but without it, they're going to get a number one seed. Uh, Only five total quad one wins, but check this out. In quads two through four, they are 23 and 0. So while they don't have an overwhelming number of great wins, according to kind of the metrics that the NCAA tournament committee is going to use, It is worth noting they have zero bad losses, nothing coming close to a bad loss, Uh, and we'll see what happens with Arizona. As I said, I believe they have locked up a number one seed, and I do believe the bigger story going forward is going to be the health of their point guard, Kirk Creasa. Now to the third number one seed and the fourth number one seed, and that's where it gets much more interesting. I think Gonzaga has locked one up. I think Arizona has locked one up, and I really thought Baylor was in great position to lock one up. Uh, I don't love Baylor as a team this year. We've talked a lot about them. Just a weird year, a lot of injuries. Guys are in and out of the lineup. They just can't stay healthy. But when you look at Baylor's resume, you know, Baylor really just did an an excellent job of just taking care of business uh, against really good teams all season long. They came into the day tied with Gonzaga for the most quad one wins, 10-3 and overall. But here's the crazy part. Gonzaga only has two quad two wins, and Baylor has seven. So 17 total quad one and quad two wins. For comparison's sake, Kentucky only has 13 quad one, quad two wins. Um, Gonzaga only has 12 quad one, quad two wins. So you just look at the totality of Baylor's wins. And they're really, really, really impressive, even though they don't have a ton of great wins on their resume. Beating Villanova at home would obviously be one. Beating Kansas at home would obviously be one. But they did get swept by Texas Tech. They did lose at Kansas. Where it gets interesting with Baylor, though, is this. While they have that impressive 19 total quad one or 17 total quad one, quad two wins, what is also interesting is they did lose on... Thursday night to Oklahoma in the Big 12 quarters. Now, it's worth noting, because of where Oklahoma falls, that is still considered a quad one win, but, or a quad one loss, excuse me, but what I would say is, I do think that opens the door for somebody else, right? The NCAA tournament committee obviously does not grade you based on how you're playing at the end of the year, but the combination of injuries, the combination of an early loss in their conference tournament it just opens up the door for somebody else to step up, and we'll talk about who that might be going forward. Right now, I would say that Baylor, if they had won on, really, if they had won on Thursday night, I think they would have all but wrapped it up. 
I do think it leaves the door open for somebody else to get another number one seed instead of Baylor. Speaking of which, the fourth number one seed in Joe Lenardi's most recent bracket, those were his first three. He had Gonzaga, Arizona, Baylor. Baylor loses the fourth number one seed, which is obviously a little bit controversial. It has been Kansas, and I'll be blunt, I, I don't really get the Kansas argument, and the reason why is pretty simple, right? So they, 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 they are 9-5 and five overall in quad one with only one quad two loss. Here's the problem. One of their losses is to a team that is right on the cut line for a, a, a number one seed. That is Kentucky, who destroyed Kansas when they played at Fog Allen Fieldhouse a few weeks ago, but still, despite it, in that, in that first mock reveal bracket, Kansas was a number one seed. Obviously, in Joe Lenardi's most recent bracketology, Kansas is a number one seed as well. So it'll be interesting to see what happens going forward for Kansas. I do think if they win the Big 12 tournament, I mean, it's hard to imagine if all of the bracketologies basically had uh, Kansas on the number one line. It's hard to see the scenario where they aren't a number one if they win the Big 12. But I'll tell you this, TCU's playing really well. They rallied to beat Texas on Thursday. Uh, TCU just beat Kansas last week. I don't think it's a guarantee. Oh, by the way, there's a chance that they could play Texas Tech in the final. Texas's Texas Tech is playing really well. Easily could have swept Kansas. And so because of it, I do think it opens the door for the possibility to consider that Kansas is far from a guarantee to win the Big 12 tournament. And so if Kansas doesn't win, with Baylor not winning, what I would say is this. I do think it opens the door for whoever wins the SEC tournament. If it is our uh, Alabama, or Alabama, Alabama stinks. If it is Auburn or it is Kentucky, I do believe if either one of those teams wins the SEC tournament with Baylor losing on Thursday night, I do believe that it opens the door for the possibility that one of those two teams, whoever does win, could get a, a number one overall, a number one seed in the NCAA tournament. The reason why is simple. First of all, Kentucky's resume is eerily similar to Kansas's as it is. They have nine total quad one wins to Kentucky's credit, and this is important. Kentucky, like Arizona, zero quad two through four losses. In other words, all of their wins are in the upper, upper, upper tier, about as good a losses as you can have. Obviously, we know what those losses are. We've talked about them on this show at Arkansas, at Tennessee, at Auburn, Duke on a neutral court. So Kentucky took care of business. Nine quad one wins is obviously tied for the most. If they win a couple games in the SEC tournament here, obviously they're going to play Vanderbilt on Friday. That will not help their resume. But if they beat Tennessee, all of a sudden we're talking about a team tied for the most quad one wins. And then on top of that, no bad losses. The other thing to consider about Kentucky, and this cannot be understated, the committee is supposed to consider teams and who they played and how they played them in terms of injuries. In other words, the committee is supposed to consider, okay, key games, your losses, were you missing anybody? Well, we've talked about it on this show enough to know that Kentucky has basically been missing key players in every loss they have over the last two months. Certainly not the early games against Duke and, and uh, Notre Dame, but more recently, they lost to Auburn with two players going out with injury. They lost to LSU, two players going out with injury. They lost to Arkansas with two players returning from injury. So I don't know exactly how it works, but the NCAA tournament committee is supposed to consider those factors. 
And that's also why I think if Kentucky were to win the SEC tournament, that would include two more, excuse me, really, really good quad one wins. They would obviously have to beat Tennessee and probably Auburn, maybe Arkansas to do it. Those are two quad one wins. It's hard to argue Kentucky shouldn't be on the one line if they were to win the SEC tournament. And I'll say this, it's kind of the same for Auburn, right? Auburn's eight and four in quad one. Uh, it's worth noting, like Kentucky, zero quad two through quad four losses. And so I bring it up because you look at Auburn's resume, no bad losses, eight and four in quad one games. Again, same thing with Kentucky in that if they were to win the SEC tournament, you're talking about wins over Arkansas, wins over probably either Kentucky or Tennessee. Those are two more quad one wins. I would think that Auburn would get the fourth number one seed. So to put a bow on the number one seed conversation, we'll get to the bubble stuff in a minute. This is kind of how I see all of it playing out. I think Arizona, Gonzaga both have number one seeds no matter what. I do believe that if Kansas wins the Big 12 and Auburn or Kentucky wins the SEC, I believe that Kansas will get a number one seed. I, I think that's certain. And I do think that either Auburn or Kentucky, if either one were to win the SEC, I do believe that they would get the fourth number one seed. If Kansas does not win the Big 12, I do think that opens up the possibility that Baylor gets back into the picture with the 17 total quad one, quad two wins. I do think it depends on where Kansas loses, how they lose, all that good stuff. Uh, but I do think it opens the conversation for Baylor to come back in. And I do think if Kentucky or Auburn were to win the SEC, I think it's hard to argue that either of them is not deserving. And then I'll tell you this, if Kansas wins the Big 12 and neither Kentucky nor Auburn wins, which means likely it would be what, uh, Tennessee or Arkansas that wins the SEC, my hunch is that Kansas and Baylor would both get the Big would get number one seeds. Kentucky and Auburn would both be on the two seed lines. So what I would say to kind of keep it simple is this, Auburn, Kentucky, Go win that SEC tournament. I think with Baylor's loss, that really opens up the possibility that you can get the potential number one seed. Um, and if you don't, got nothing to complain about come Selection Sunday. All right, really quickly, what I want to do is I do want to hit on the bubble picture, which is actually getting very, very, very interesting. Um, and it's just it's just been a really fascinating couple days. There are still a couple bubble teams, ironically, that have yet to play. Memphis, who I think is pretty much in the field at this point, they will play on Friday night. Memphis just beat the team that you're supposed to play. I believe they're playing Central Florida. You're in. Uh, SMU still has not played in the same uh, AAC tournament. Rutgers still has not played in the Big Ten tournament. So there are a handful of bubble teams that have not played. But in terms of the bubble picture, what I would say is right now as I record here, there are more teams that are losing games and opening up spots for other people than there are teams that are actually winning. And so if you're a bubble team that's still alive as I record here on Thursday night into Friday morning, you got to feel pretty good. Here are some of the teams that lost and that I think really, really hurt themselves. Wake Forest lost their big uh, ACC, excuse me, tournament opener to Boston College. Great story, great game. Boston College almost upset Miami on Thursday. But with the loss... You know, I think Wake Forest is one of the great team, great stories in college basketball. Going to talk about Steve Forbes a little bit because I, that was the guy that I thought should get the Georgia job when Tom Crean ultimately got it. 
And so when I look at this game, why it's important is because Wake Forest really could not afford a bad loss. And one thing I th- I'm going to mention here with the bubble picture as far as the ACC is concerned, the ACC as a whole has really been hurt by the fact that the ACC sucks. I mean, when you start to look at some of the resumes of these teams in the ACC compared to the others, they really don't compare. And so you look at Wake Forest, this is kind of incredible. One and four is Wake Forest in quad one games, okay? So Wake Forest has one quad one win all season, and this was a team that was very comfortably in the NCAA tournament picture. We could criticize Penny Hardaway, Four quad one wins, three quad two wins. So seven total quad one wins as opposed to Wake Forest who has one quad one win and then on top of that four quad three wins. So not even close to the same resume as Memphis. And we've criticized Memphis all year, myself included. So Wake Forest really doesn't have that impressive of a resume. I would add on top of that, Wake Forest actually has a couple quad three losses which are really, really, really bad. And I didn't realize how precarious Wake Forest situation was, but they lost to Boston College. I kind of think they're on the outside looking in, especially as some of these other teams continue to win. Notre Dame, it's kind of the same. It was really interesting. I, I was listening to an interview with Jerry Palm, one of the other bracketologists, and he kind of brought up the point. He said, if you really kind of poke holes in Notre Dame's resume, it's really not as impressive as you think. Notre Dame loses in the quarterfinals of the ACC tournament to Virginia Tech. Two total quad one wins all season for Notre Dame. One of them was, of course, against Kentucky. That was a great win that was probably inflating their resume overall this season. Um, and really, two and one, in, you know, two quad one wins, two and two in quad two. So you're talking about four total quad one and quad two wins for Notre Dame. Let me give you a comparison. I just said, first of all, Memphis has seven quad one, quad two wins over the course of the season. Notre Dame has four. Creighton has five quad one wins alone. And so you look at what Creighton did, and that's just a team as a hypothetical shows you how far Notre Dame has fallen. So the ACC, I believe, was kind of one of the big losers so far this week. Duke is in. uh, North Carolina is in. And I do believe that Miami probably played their way in because they avoided a bad loss on Thursday to Boston College. So that's three teams right there. But I'll tell you this, you start to look at Wake Forest, Notre Dame compared to other bubble teams, those resumes are kind of thin. I would not be surprised if at least one of them was out, and I wouldn't be surprised if one of those teams was actually in uh, the playing game here a few weeks from now couple other bubble teams that are really just kind of interesting but bad days. Let me start by saying this, Xavier. Xavier, I don't know if you guys watch this Xavier game. Wednesday night, they're playing Butler at Madison Square Garden. I have crushed Xavier because their coach, Travis Steele, just doesn't win enough big games, okay? So Xavier's playing Butler. Just the craziest, weirdest game ever. They're in complete control and completely meltdown, including late in the game where they're up to with about 15 seconds left. Their star senior guard, Paul Scruggs, misses a foul shot to put them up three and then immediately fouls Butler thinking that they're up three doing the two for one. You got to foul when you're up three thing. They were only up two. Butler goes to the line, hits a couple free throws, goes to overtime, and they win the game. Now, in terms of Xavier, I'll say this. They are very lucky because one metric that used to be a factor in the um, NCAA Tournament Selection Committee is how you're playing recently. 
And thankfully, they took that away a few years ago because for Xavier, they're 2-8 and eight in their last 10 games overall, including that loss to Butler. But what I would say for Xavier is, it was funny, as I was prepping for this show, I looked into their resume. It's a little bit stronger than I thought. Nine quad one and quad two wins. I think Xavier actually, despite the catastrophic loss on, on Wednesday to Butler in the Big East tournament, I think Xavier's probably going to be on the right side. Uh, but Xavier takes a bad loss. Michigan obviously takes a bad loss. We're going to talk about the flip side of that in a minute. Michigan's kind of an interesting team. The metrics love them because they have played an insane number of quad one and quad two games. 14 quad one games overall for Michigan. Not only did they play in the Big Ten, 20 Big Ten games, but they also in the out of conference played Arizona, played North Carolina at North Carolina, played San Diego State at home. Uh, played all sorts of teams in the Ottawa Conference. Obviously, they're, they're, they were supposed to play Kentucky. They'll play Kentucky next year. Michigan, though, 17-14 and 14 overall now. Uh, I think there's a very good chance they could be on the outside looking in despite that resume. That was a really bad loss for them to take on whatever it was, Thursday. And so speaking of which, let's talk about some of the big bubble winners as I record here on Thursday night. And with that said, drum roll, please. How about my boy, Mike Evan Woodson? You see Mike Evan Woodson? Mike Evan Woodson, Indiana. Indiana, the team that cannot win a close game, was down 17 points in the second half against Michigan and ends up coming back and winning the game. Mike Woodson, Indiana, comes back and wins. And what I will say is this, is that uh, this was, in my opinion, an elimination game for Indiana if they lost this game. If they lost this game, there was no way they were going to make the NCAA tournament. And I still actually think, <laughs> uh, no, nobody loves Mike Woodson more than your boy here. But, you know, I, I still think Indiana has some work to do. I still think the only way that they guarantee that they're in, they play Illinois, the number one seed in the Big Ten tournament, on Friday afternoon, 11.30 a.m. Eastern. So I guess it's technically Friday morning. But I bring it up to say the only way that I feel like Indiana is definitely in is beating Illinois. But with that said, they take care of business. Big win down 17 points. They rally to win. Shout out to my boy, Mike Woodson. Probably the biggest win of anybody in Champ Week this week. Indiana picks up the win. Their fourth quad one win of the season. Also have three quad two wins, which are big as well. In terms of other teams from the uh, bubble that are probably on the right side, one, Creighton, I'll be honest, I didn't really understand why they were even on the bubble, but they took care of Marquette on Thursday in the Big East quarterfinals, and I just give Creighton credit, man. Creighton lost five, all five starters from last year's team. On top of that, their starting point guard going into the year, Sharif Mitchell, only played three games. Then the guy that replaced him, Ryan Nemhard, Andrew Nemhard's younger brother, just went down about two weeks ago, and they keep winning games. I don't get it, but three wins over Marquette this season. On top of that, they, they swept the season series against UConn. They beat Villanova at home. I didn't really understand the idea of Creighton being on the NCAA tournament bubble, but apparently they were, according to the bracketologies, that you, that, depending on what you read. But Creighton takes care of business. Finally, what I would say is I do think we talked a little bit about the Mountain West tournament here a few days ago. I do think that Wyoming officially punched its ticket as the fourth Mountain West team that's going to make the NCAA tournament. They had to beat UNLV on the, well, 
it's technically a neutral court, but the, the Mountain West tournament's played at UNLV's home court, Thomas and Mack Center. And I do believe that, well, I don't believe Wyoming took care of business. They beat UNLV. I do believe that they've done enough 10 quad one and quad two wins for Wyoming. Uh, that's a really, really solid resume coming out of the Mountain West. Again, for comparison's sake, Indiana has six quad one and quad two wins. They're on the right side. Uh, you know, they're in the bubble mix. Notre Dame, four quad one and quad two wins. So you start talking about Wyoming with 10 quad one, quad two wins. I think they are probably pretty good coming out. Uh, I did I did forget to mention one other couple bubble teams. One, Florida takes a weird loss to Texas A&M overtime. Texas A&M was in control. Then they weren't in control, all that good stuff. Florida's done out of the tournament picture. Virginia losing to North Carolina. I don't see the scenario where Virginia gets in. They're another team that was hurt by how bad the ACC was this year. Uh, Virginia Tech, to its credit, uh, took care of business. They are now in the ACC semifinals. They beat Clemson and Notre Dame. I still think they probably need one more win. They will play North Carolina on Friday night. I believe they need one more win to confidently be in the NCAA tournament. And then, as I said, there's some other teams, Memphis, uh, SMU, Rutgers, who are tipping off on Friday for the first time that will need, that are probably in, but they could all probably use one more win. I think in Memphis's case, it's really just about avoiding a bad loss. Same with SMU. SMU has, a, has a, I believe it's Tulsa, the, the 10 seed, which has a losing record as of right now. So if you're SMU, just do not lose to Tulsa, and you'll probably be in pretty good shape. All right, this is what I want to do. I do want to take a quick break. I do want to come back. I do want to talk a little bit about my boy Tom Crean. Tom Crean is out at Georgia. Uh, I have some thoughts on what went wrong, what Georgia did wrong when they hired him. And then, of course, I have some thoughts on who will replace him. So I will be right back. We'll talk a little Tom Crean. We'll talk a little Georgia. I'll be right back. All right, we're going to get back to the college basketball conversation in a minute. But before we do, I want to welcome back our partners, DraftKings, DraftKings Sportsbook. They've been with us since the start of football season, baby. And here's the great news. DraftKings love me, so because they love me, they love you too, and they are offering you an incredible offer for March Madness. Here's all you got to do. Bet $5 on the money line. New users, first-time accounts, sign up. You bet $5 on the money line. Any team in college basketball over the course of March, if they win, you get $200 in free bets. So you like Kentucky this weekend. You like Duke this weekend. You like Arizona this weekend. You like Gonzaga in the opening round of the NCAA tournament. Bet $5 on any team on the money line. You get $200 in free bets courtesy of DraftKings and the DraftKings Sportsbook. Here's how it works. Click the link in the show description. So all you got to do, pull up your, your little iTunes, iPhone, whatever. Click the link in the show description and sign up for a new account with DraftKings Sportsbook. you got to sign up for the account first so Torres sent you and make your first deposit. You then bet $5 on any team. I just told you it could be Kentucky, could be Tennessee, could be Arizona, could be Gonzaga when the tournament starts. And if your team wins, you get an automatic $200 in free bets courtesy of DraftKings and the DraftKings Sportsbook. It is the best offer going right now, so make sure to act now. 
If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-800-426-2537 in Illinois. Gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER in Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Wyoming, 1-800-9 within Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-888-532-3500 in Virginia, 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona, or call or text Tennessee Redline, 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. Must be 21 plus or over to enter, 18 plus or over in Wyoming, Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming, New York, Louisiana only. Minimum $5 deposit, minimum $5 wager, eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for full terms and conditions. All right, everybody. I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Thank you again to our partners, DraftKings and the DraftKings Sportsbook. Incredible offer. I, I just told you about it. I'm going to tell you about it again. Bet $5 on literally anybody on the money line just to win the game. I'm talking Duke, Kentucky, uh, Illinois, whoever you like, Arizona. Just bet $5, pick them to win. If they win, you get $200 in free bets. First time user for DraftKings and the DraftKings Sportsbook. Link is in the show description. You can check it out there. Thank you again to DraftKings and the DraftKings Sportsbook. With that said, I do want to kind of some switch some gears here. We obviously just talked about the bubble picture. We talked about the number one seed picture. But I do want to talk about what is quickly going to become a big topic on this show for the next few weeks, and that's the college basketball coaching carousel, okay? And what I would even say is dating back to this time last year, um, there's been a couple kind of quote-unquote seminal moments for the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast in terms of when it really blew up, when it really gained traction. And one time that I would say definitively that this show really took off was around this time last year because we had one of the craziest college basketball coaching carousels ever. North Carolina opened up, hired Hubert Davis. Indiana opened up. It was open for a month. They thought about everybody. Ended up with my boy Mike F. and Woodson. Uh, Arizona opened up. Duke, I guess you could say, even opened up for half a second before we found out that John Shire was going to be the, the upcoming head coach at Duke. And so I bring it up to say, this time last year was crazy. This time around in 2022, I don't expect it to be that crazy. Uh, I think you could argue Louisville and Maryland, the two jobs that are currently open, are probably going to be the two best jobs that end up becoming open at any point this offseason. Obviously, that's always subject to change. Somebody could go to the NBA. Somebody could take a weird job and whatever. There could be a million factors that go into it. But I expect those to be the two probably most high-profile jobs. And then we go from there and we kind of figure things out. With that said, though, we did get a relatively big job open up over the last couple days, and that was on Thursday afternoon when Georgia officially did what we all thought they were going to do, which was fire Tom Crean. And if you've been following it all closely, and even if you haven't been following closely, this is one that it felt like it was basically like inevitable here over the last couple weeks, right? Is that I even talked about it. I did a coaching carousel update about two, two and a half, three weeks ago. And at the time, I was talking about all the jobs that could open, might open, might not open. And it was funny because at the time, you had all these ADs coming out in defense of their coaches. Oh, he's our guy. We trust him. He just needs more time. And Georgia's AD was like, oh, yeah, we'll evaluate everything at the end of, of the season. I saw kind of a crazy story that I guess after the last practice before they left for the SEC tournament on Tuesday or Wednesday, whenever Georgia left, that Tom Crean actually spent some extra time in the practice facility, kind of just walking around and looking at things. But after four years, Tom Crean is officially done as the Georgia head coach. 
And we're going to get to candidates in a minute. We'll also hit on, by the way, a couple other coaching carousel news and notes kind of nuggets that I, I haven't hit on here on the pod. But with that said, uh, you know, nuggets on Andy Enfield, Patrick Ewing, whatever. But with that said, I do kind of want to hit on this Tom Crean thing specifically, the Georgia thing specifically, and I do want to hit on two different elements of it. I do want to ultimately get to the candidates who I think could be a factor, who I think will ultimately end up getting the job. But I also do want to take a moment and just talk about the Tom Crean uh, uh, era at Georgia because it was one of the weirdest eras ever. It was one of the craziest eras ever. And I've had a lot of people in the media, not so much fans, but people in the media ask me, Torres, what went wrong? Torres, I, I, I didn't know if it would work. I didn't know if he would be the guy, but I did not expect that it was going to be this bad. Well, what I would tell you is, if you're a longtime, old-school OG listener of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, there was at least one guy. I'm not claiming I was the only guy, but there was at least one guy that said, you know, this Tom Crean thing's probably not going to work out very well, and it was me back in the day in 2018 when he was hired. And to really understand why this thing was such a disaster, what you have to do is go back to the time that he was hired, and if you remember, he was at Indiana forever. He gets fired, and then he spends the one year between Indiana and Georgia at ESPN. And one thing I'll say about Tom Crean, he ain't dumb. I give him credit because if you go back, and I tweeted about it at the time, I vividly remember. Tom Crean basically used his one year at ESPN to basically use ESPN as a PR machine to explain why he absolutely had to be a head coach again. It was surreal to watch. I mean, I still remember. This is no disrespect to the guy, Dick Vitale. He's going through, you know, serious, serious health issues. I wish him nothing but the best in terms of his health. But if you listen to Dick Vitale talk about the coaching openings that year, you would have thought that Tom Crean was John Wooden mixed with Coach K, mixed with a little bit of Bob Knight with some John Calipari mixed in. You would have thought that he was the greatest candidate to ever walk the earth. Uh, Jay Billis, every time that any type of job opening happened, I think even that was the year that Louisville opened, and like people were pushing for him to go to Louisville. And I sat there and said, look, I understand that he inherited a tough situation in Indiana that was obviously the, the post-Kelvin Sampson era. But if you actually watch the Indiana situation, it, it kind of was a disaster, right? First couple years, it's this major, major, major rebuild. I give him the benefit of the doubt. Here was Tom Crean's final five years at Indiana. 2012-2013, that was the Cody Zeller year. Uh, Victor Oladipo, 29-7, first place in the, the Big Ten. That was his fifth to last year. Okay, wins the Big Ten. That's fantastic. Following year, 17-15, tied for eighth. Following year, 20-14, tied for seventh. Following year, 27-8, wins the Big Ten again. And then his final year, 18-16, and 16, tied for 10th. So you talk about an up and down final few years at Indiana. His final five years, two outright Big Ten titles, and then he also, on top of that, had three finishes, seventh place or worse. And so that was my issue with t- hyping Tom Crean as this incredible candidate. Is like, yes, he had some, high, some, some highs as the Indiana head coach. But at the same time, like, nothing was sustainable. One year had nothing to do with the other. Sometimes they vastly overachieved. That, that, that Big Ten title run in 2016 was really a byproduct of Yogi Ferrell just going off but it was an up and down, nothing consistent. And that's why I said, like, why are we hyping this guy as the answer at Georgia? But to Georgia, I think they saw him as we are now in an era six, seven, five, six years ago when he was hired, where Tennessee had just hired Rick Barnes, where South Carolina had hired Frank Martin, where Auburn had hired Bruce Pearl, where Mississippi State had hired Ben Holland. 
And so I think Georgia felt like, well, we just got the former Indiana coach. And it's like, yeah, but he sucks, so who cares? And I believe that Georgia was way too focused on getting the name, you know, kind of the winning the press conference, if you will, rather than getting the best head coach, right? Um, you know, and, and I say this all the time. I say it all the time. When Alabama hired Nate Oates, that was not winning the press conference. I had, you know, my buddy Ryan Fowler who hosts in Tuscaloosa. I'll never forget. I was at the West Regional, Texas Tech, Gonzaga, Michigan, and somebody else. Uh, I forget who Gonzaga played. They played Michigan in that one, and then Texas Tech, whatever. That was the year Texas Tech went to the Final Four. But I remember being at the West Regional, and my buddy Ryan Fowler goes, who the heck is Nate Oates? But Greg Byrne wasn't worried about winning a press conference. Greg, Greg Byrne was about worried about getting the best head coach. Same with Hunter Yurchek when he hired Eric Musselman. I know Eric Musselman checked a lot of boxes, but I don't think he was the sexiest candidate at the time that you could hire. Now he'd be the sexiest candidate you could possibly hire with what he's done at Arkansas. So I bring it up because I think some schools have had the right perspective on making this hire, and then some schools have had the wrong perspective, and I think Georgia was absolutely one of them. I said at the time, you can go back and find the tweets. You can go back and probably find the podcast. I said go hire Steve Forbes. Steve Forbes was a quote-unquote no-name at East, Eastern, uh, East Tennessee, excuse me, but he had been with Bruce Pearl at Tennessee, coached at the JUCO level, been with Greg Marshall at Wichita State. Like, that guy had been at every level, and everywhere he went, they immediately had success. Well, we see what Steve Forbes is doing at Wake Forest now as their potential NCAA tournament team. So I do hope that Georgia now focuses on making the best hire, not making the splashiest hire. Tom Crean is gone. If I can give you two reasons why I don't, uh, two, two times that I knew that he wasn't going to work, I can name them specifically. One, first of all, I didn't think he's going to work from the beginning. But when you go 16 and 16 and tie for 13th place with the number one overall pick of the draft, Anthony Edwards, that's kind of when you know, okay, this probably isn't going to go well. That was one. And then last offseason, when the one-time transfer hit and literally everybody in his program left, that's kind of when I knew. I was like, okay, this guy's not done, but he's kind of done. And it's interesting to see now three teams that are competing for a national championship have former Georgia players that transferred in this offseason. Severe Wheeler at Kentucky, Auburn has Katie Johnson, and Justin Kyer is at Arizona this year. So three guys that had major contributions last year at Georgia are now on NCAA championship caliber teams. And that was kind of when I knew Tom Cream was done. I was like, look, we can sit here and fake it and pretend that maybe he'll survive. But like when all of your pl best players transfer, and then, oh, by the way, the Severe Wheeler thing was funny too, because if you remember the Severe Wheeler thing, he was asked about it and he says something to the effect of, well, you know, he just wanted to be closer to home in Houston and COVID was tough on all of us. Boom. Then he goes to Kentucky and it's further away. Anyway, Enough of Tom Crean. The Tom Crean era is over. I don't believe he will ever be a major head coach at any major university. Could I see him ending up at some small school? Sure, why not? Who cares? Whatever. But the Tom Crean era is over. And with that said, it is officially time to start talking about who could be the next head coach at Georgia, okay? Who could be the next guy to take over at Georgia? And what I would say is, is a couple things. One, I think it's a very interesting time for Georgia to be making a hire, Okay. It's funny, I actually went on SEC, uh, the SiriusXM SEC channel earlier this week, and one of the co-hosts that day was Aaron Murray, the former Georgia quarterback. And it was funny, he was kind of picking my brain, like, who do you think, what, what did you do, blah, 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 this and that. And what I did say, and we'll get to candidates just here in, in just half a second, but I want to set this up because I think it's important. When you talk about the SEC right now, this second, you look at a group of coaches that are not only elite, but elite in a lot of different areas, Right. Like, there are coaches in college basketball, and I've talked about this on different podcasts and all this stuff before, that don't like to recruit. 
that hate the portal, that don't want to whatever, – whatever it is, don't want to focus on scheduling, don't care about this, don't care about that. You go to the SEC, oh, there's a lot of coaches in that league that check in awful lot of boxes that love to recruit, that get the portal, that find the balance between high school rep- recruiting and portal recruiting that know the X's and O's, that are good in front of boosters. I mean, think about the coaches in the SEC right now. Bruce Pearl at Auburn checks a lot of boxes. Rick Barnes at Tennessee checks a lot of boxes. Eric Musselman at Arkansas checks a lot of boxes. John Calipari's an all-timer, checks all the boxes. Uh, Nate Oates, really good rising coach despite a little bit of a disappointment this year, checks a lot of boxes. And so I bring it up because I just think this is such a fascinating deal for Georgia where you could get away with some stuff maybe three, four, five years ago when you hired Tom Crean. You can't now. You got to get a guy that checks all the boxes. And so with that said, let's get into the candidates because I do think it's going to set up an interesting conversation about some of the candidates, why I like some of them more than others. The first candidate, the name that has picked up a ton of traction over the last couple weeks is Jonas Hayes, uh, and a current assistant coach at Xavier. And many of you are asking, why the heck would an assistant coach at Xavier be the lead candidate for the Georgia job? And it's pretty straightforward. This is a guy that basically bleeds, you know, black and red, Georgia black and red. Played at Georgia. He is the brother, the twin brother of Jarvis Hayes, who played in the NBA forever and is a former Georgia Bulldog himself. He was a former assistant coach at Georgia. He, he has recruited Georgia for years. As a matter of fact, if you look at Xavier, as much of a frustrating season as it's been, if you look at their roster, they have a ton of kind of southern and southeast players on the roster, including Dewan Odom, who's a really good player for him. He comes from Georgia, and it was Jonas Hayes who was the one that recruited him. And that is kind of the idea behind why you go get Jonas Hayes. He is a guy that has deep, 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 deep ties to the state of Georgia. He is a guy that knows the AAU coaches, the high school coaches, the alums, the boosters, the former players. And he is the guy that can bring everybody together under one roof and make Georgia basketball into what they hope that they can be. And so that is why he's the lead candidate. I have seen some stuff. I haven't heard it personally, but I saw like Matt Norlander from CBS Sports put this out there, is that there's kind of a lot of internal pressure on the AD, Josh Brooks, to kind of bring in this guy. There's a lot of people in the program that want him. And so it'll be interesting to see if he ends up being the guy. What I would also say is in terms of why I would be a little bit concerned if I was a Georgia fan, it's for the reason I just mentioned. The guy has never been a head coach at any level. And it's not to say that you can't be successful as a head coach in college basketball if you've never been a head coach before, right? Like Tommy Lloyd at Arizona might be the national player, national coach of the year this year. But what I would also say, there's a big difference between taking over Arizona with a future lottery pick in Ben Matherin, and he would have been drafted last year, by the way. Arizona's probably the best job in that league by far, maybe the best job west of Lawrence, Kansas. And taking over a Georgia job, which is going to have by far the worst roster when you inherit it. And then on top of that, you're in a much tougher league and a job that is much further down the scale in terms of the league itself. And so that would be my concern with taking Jonas Hayes. I'm not saying it can't work. I'm not saying that a first-year head coach has never been able to walk in and do the job well. But I do think there's a difference between being a first-year head coach in college basketball and being a first-year head coach at Georgia in the SEC when the SEC maybe has the strongest coaches it's ever had and maybe the strongest coaches in college basketball right now. Again, Eric Musselman checks all the boxes. John Calipari checks all the boxes. Nate Oates checks all the boxes. Bruce Pearl, Rick Barnes, on and on. And so to me, that'll be the very interesting thing. Do you go with the guy with zero experience because of what he could potentially do for the community? 
or do you go in another direction? So with that said, let's get to the next guy on the list. And a guy that, frankly, I'll just be blunt, he'd be my choice. And that is Dennis Gates, the head coach at Cleveland State. And a lot of you probably sitting there saying, just like Jonas says, Torres, Dennis Gates, Cleveland State, why are you going to go hire the head coach at Cleveland State? And what I would say is, first of all, while he has been at Cleveland State the last two years, this is a guy with major, major, major Southeast ties. He is a guy that coached under Leonard Hamilton for several, several, several years, about eight, nine years. He was Leonard Hamilton's lead assistant. And so he does have ties to the Southeast. He is a dogged recruiter, and he has done a great job at Cleveland State. He is a guy that came in in the middle of the summer, like late, late, late summer. I think he got hired in late June and took over one of the worst programs in major college basketball. Uh, 10 and 21 the year before he got there, 5 and 13 in the Horizon League. And people respected what he did so much that in year one, even though they only improved by a game or two, they finished at 11 and 21 overall. He actually won the conference coach of the year. Because the previous coach got fired, a bunch of guys left, and basically in June, on the fly, he came in and had to figure it out, and he actually, to his credit, did. Year two was last year, kind of the weird COVID-ish sort of year where a tournament got played in a bubble. Cleveland State, in just year two, under Dennis Gates, wins the conference regular season title, wins the conference tournament title, finishes last season, and again, it was kind of a weird COVID year. But last year, they finished 19-8 and overall, 16-4 and in the conference. And again, he wins the regular season conference title, makes the NCAA tournament. This year, even better, wins the conference regular season title, more wins, uh, you know, all that good stuff, 20-10 and overall. They did not make the NCAA tournament, losing in their conference semifinals. But when I look at a guy, when I look at a, a candidate for Georgia that checks all the boxes, the way that I believe Nate Oates did coming out of Buffalo, the way that I believe Eric Musselman did coming out of Nevada to Arkansas, Dennis Gates is the guy. And as a guy who knows maybe a little bit more about college basketball than most, he's the guy that I don't want going to Georgia, and here's why. One, an elite recruiter. Not going to let all those kids leave Georgia. Some are going to leave because when you get offered by Kentucky or you get offered by Auburn or Tennessee, it's always a great opportunity. You're going to take advantage of it. But He's a great recruiter, and more important, two, he's had success as a head coach, and then three, what I would say, and I do think this is an important element of it as well, I think he's done a good job of building a program at the mid-major level during this era of college basketball with the one-time transfer and all that good stuff, and to me, that is a very important element of all this, okay, and when it comes to all these jobs, and I don't even know how many are going to open this year, but that is something that I would be looking at as an AD, is that in this world where players can transfer all the time, anytime they want, are you a guy that's able to recruit kids into your program, develop them, and get them better and get them to stay in your program? Because I think that's a really important part of college basketball over the next 10 years. Is there are some, By the way, there are some coaches, Eric Musselman's one of them, that are great in the portal world and players coming and going. Chris Beard's another one. John is obviously one, whatever. But for the most part, when I look at a mid-major coach, that in the world that we live in, if a guy blows up as a mid-major player, really talented, all-conference type player, can you convince him to stay, or is he bouncing the second that he has a good season to go to a better job, to, to a better spot? If you bring in a kid and he doesn't play right away, is he transferring down? And that's simply not the case of Dennis Gates at Cleveland State, and I think that's important in this, in this one-time transfer world. 
if you can get kids to stay in your program, it means they have respect for you, they have respect for your staff, they believe in you, you probably have a pretty good personal relationship with them where you're obviously coaching them hard because you're having success, but they also trust you enough to stay in your program. And so that, to me, is what stands out about Dennis Gates, is he's not only won, but he's done it over a two, three, four-year stretch, and he's done it in a mid-major where he's been able to retain a big part of his roster. I think that is important as well. Beyond that, after let me even we'll get to a couple other candidates in a minute. But what I would say really quick is a couple things. One, those are the two candidates that really seem to be out there, okay? Those are the two candidates that everyone seems to think are in the mix at the job. And after those two, there is a big gap with everybody else. So really after those two, I'm just kind of speculating at this point. It obviously goes without saying, If uh, certainly if Jonas Hayes took, uh, was offered the job, I'm certain he would accept it. I'm pretty sure Dennis Gates would take it as well. And so I just bring it up to say that it probably isn't going to get past those two. But if it does, I, I did put, come together with a couple other names. And again, probably understanding that there is a big obvious two. And then below that, uh, it gets much, much more murky. One name, uh, it's a guy that, well, I'll be honest, you're going to hear from him in about 10 minutes or so. Matt McMahon, the Murray State head coach. And he's another one. And we talk about it. I said to him, Coach, how do you keep all these good players in your program every year? It's unbelievable. So with Matt McMahon, first of all, he has had sustained success at Murray State. And I know Murray State's a great job, and everybody that's gone there has won. But let's just look at the last five years for Murray State. 26-6, first in the league. 28-5, first in the league. 23-9, first in the league. That was the year the, the NCAA tournament was canceled. 13-13. Fifth in the league, and then this year, thirty and two, first in the league. So basically, the only year that Murray State has not won the conference regular season title was the COVID year last year. And so I bring it up to say it's a lot of the same stuff that I just said with Dennis Gates. Uh, he's built a program. He's sustained success over a period of time. He's been able to keep good players in his program. He even mentions a couple names uh, here when he comes up on the show later in a little bit. He basically says point blank. He says like, look. You know, it comes down to recruiting, it comes down to evaluation, all that stuff. But my two best players, K.J. Williams and Tevin Brown, if they wanted to go somewhere else, they could have and they would have had plenty of suitors. So that impresses me. And then I think the other thing that has to impress you if you're an outsider looking into his program, the guy's clearly got a good eye for talent. You know, I mean, they brought in some guy named John Moran about three, four, five years ago that really kind of blew up, I guess, late in his career, but wasn't. Uh, you know, wasn't a, a superstar high school player. Matt McMahon, there's obviously uh, a lot of reasons to like his resume. As I said, in terms of being at Murray State, uh, four regular season titles in the last five years, 30-2. and two. And I do believe that if, if he does want to move up, I did not ask him about other coaching opportunities. If he does want to move up, I believe this year he will be in demand. A couple other names, you know, I'm just going to rip through a few of them. One, Lamont Paris, the head coach at Chattanooga. They're going to the NCAA tournament. We saw the buzzer beater there. Uh, have been really impressed by him, how he's built the program down there at Chattanooga. And then finally, what I would say, I've seen enough people reference it where I feel like I have to mention it, but we got to talk about potential friend of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, Sean Miller, down at, at Georgia. Now, when it comes to Sean Miller, it is important to note, he even really talked about this a little bit in his appearance a few weeks ago, is that when it comes to Sean Miller, the Arizona investigation is still ongoing, right? So as of right now, there is no new information. And as of right now, Arizona is not going to get its punishment until this summer. 
And so I think Sean Miller is realistic in the fact that he might not really be a candidate this coming cycle, but that also he does understand that he believes that his punishment will justify him being a candidate at some point, maybe as early as next year. But if you're Georgia, I'll say this. Like, I get crushed anytime I, I, I say anything nice about Sean Miller. Oh, you support him, you this, you that. Guy made seven sweet 16s and eight elite eights. And at Arizona, where they expect Final Fours and National Championships, maybe that wasn't enough. But at Georgia, you could go to Georgia right now? I'm sorry, man. I'm making that call, and I'm seeing if Sean Miller will come. Now, you have to hire him knowing that he could be facing a suspension at some point. I do not believe it will be a lengthy suspension. I don't believe he's getting a show cause. Um, and so that's kind of the, the thing with Georgia is do you trust uh, you know, do you trust him to not, not trust him, but do you trust the NCAA to kind of look at the case at Arizona and give him a fitting punishment? Because if you can deal with a four, five, six game suspension, whatever it ends up being, I'll tell you this, man, you get Sean Miller on the on the low. Sean Miller, a guy that has been to again seven sweet sixteens and five elite eights, four elite eights, whatever I just said, that's a good, good, good deal for your program. So yeah, so yeah, that's the Georgia deal. Went on long enough. I, I do want to wrap here on a couple other news and notes from across the carousel. By the way, I would say this. I think Dennis Gates or Jonas Hayes, those are the two guys. Those are the guys that are going to be the candidates there, and I think one of the two will get the job. I would go with Dennis Gates. I kind of get the sense that the pressure is on to bring back Jonas Hayes. Uh, would not surprise me, by the way. Kind of a similar deal to Louisville, where the AD wants to go outside, hire somebody else, but there's a lot of internal pressure with Kenny Payne. I think it's the same at Georgia. Really quick, a couple other news and notes with college basketball's coaching carousel. First of all, talked about Patrick Ewing a few weeks ago. I really said Patrick Ewing, I believed, was basically like the only head coach that um, you know was basically one of the, the few head coaches that I believed would not be back next year. What appears is he's going to be, and the reason being is that he got a, an extension so he got an extension after last year's NCAA tournament, three-year extension for Patrick Ewing. And so because of it, I think there's a pretty good chance that he is going to be back next year because I don't think Georgetown can, can afford to fire him. The AD has come out in support of him. Uh, he has come out and said he wants to be the head coach next year, so I do expect him to be the head coach. And then another piece of news that came out over the last couple of days, Andy Enfield, the USC head coach, uh, has has inked a five-year ex or an extension, excuse me, that takes him through the 2027 season. He had been a candidate at Maryland. He had been a candidate if Georgia opened, but he is going to stay. All I can say about that one is, you know, just talking to people. I I, I don't think that the contract that he had at USC was befitting of the success that he has had. I've told the story many times, but basically, if you go back. Uh, with Andy Enfield, obviously last year was the Elite Eight. That was kind of the you know feather in his cap, if you will. But you go back with Andy Enfield, made the NCAA tournament in 2015, 2016, made the NCAA tournament in 2017, 2018, they were the first team out. 2019, a bad year. 2020, they would have made it. And then last year, they made the Elite Eight. So, I mean, you're really talking about basically if a tournament gets played in 2020, he is a game or two away from going to five NCAA tournaments in six years, uh, which has never been done at the school. And so Andy Enfield stays, like I said. I, I don't think the contract that he currently had was really fitting of a guy that has had the success that he has had. But he did get a contract extension. I think the, the note there through 2027. So that tells you it's for at least five years, which in college sports, that's a big deal. You can tell a, a freshman or, or, excuse me, a kid that you're recruiting in high school, I will be here for at least four years. So Andy Enfield will be a head coach at USC for a long time to come. 
All right, with that said, I do think it is time for me to get out of here. And I do think that it is time to bring in my buddy Matt McMahon, head coach Murray State. Murray State 30-2, and clinched an NCAA tournament bid late last week. Obviously, on Saturday, they took care of business in the conference championship game. Shout out again to, uh, to Moorhead State, who I thought just played just an absolutely incredible game against Murray almost pulled off the upset Murray would have been in any way but Murray State is 30 and 2 and they are officially in the NCAA tournament so Matt McMahon the head coach is coming up here momentarily by the way if you're a Georgia fan if you're uh, any fan that's might be looking for a new head coach might be worth a listen before we get out of here want to remind you please make sure to subscribe to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast Apple Spotify Amazon Music Google Music all that good stuff make sure you're following on social media at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram. Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com if you have any questions. And again, that NCAA tournament bracket pool is about to drop on Sunday. Make sure that you have signed up for the Aaron Torres Podcast Bracket Challenge. A lot of good prizes, $500 gift card to first prize. No big deal. Just telling you nobody's going to take care of you like your boy Torres does. With that said, it is to... Oh, Time for me to get out of here. I should mention again, BracketFanatics.com. That is where that will be done. Uh, Shout out to BracketFanatics. Also, make sure that you are using BracketFanatics for your pool. Again, just an incredible service, BracketFanatics.com. You can make side bets with your friends. Uh, You can also, of course, have everybody pay there. You don't have to track down people. So great stuff from BracketFanatics. With that said, though, I am going to get out of here. It is time to bring in the head coach, Matt McMahon from Murray State. Murray State 30-2, and two, getting ready for the NCAA tournament. Really fun interview with Coach McMahon. So with that said, shout-out to Torrent Craig. Shout-out to Rachel, who hates my voice. I'll be back on Monday, party people, and we are going to have a bracket to talk about. I'll be back on Monday. All right, joining me via Zoom. Kind of an annual tradition at this point. Calendar turns to March. Murray State makes the tournament. And Matt McMahon comes to hang out for a little bit. Head coach Murray State. Coach McMahon, what's going on, man? How you doing? Aaron, great to be with you. Uh, It was an awesome weekend in Evansville, not just for our team, uh, but for Murray State University. We took over 6,000 people up there uh, to the Ford Center. Just a big-time atmosphere and uh, one heck of a celebration. I think the Racer Nation shut down Evansville Saturday night after the game and uh, just was a special weekend for us. So, you know, I was going to actually ask about that. You know, when I had John a few years ago, it, you, know, you guys had made the tournament and then we kind of linked up at the Final Four again. But, um, you know, we talked about the history of the program, Mick Cronin coach there, Mark Godfrey, blah, 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 blah. Tell us about Murray, Kentucky, though, because watching your home games where – uh, I looked it up today. I think the, your gym holds about 8,000 sold out. Uh, and the city of, of Murray, the town of Murray, has about 19,000 people. I looked it up this morning, did a little homework before I came on the show. Uh, what What is, you know, game day in Murray like? What is being the coach of Murray basketball like? Because whether it's your home games, whether it's the neutral court environment that we saw for the conference tournament, it seems like there's you're hard-pressed to really find any programs anywhere that are supported as well as the racers. Aaron, it's a unique and really special place Uh, for really four decades now. uh, It's been one of the great programs in all the college basketball. 
the community takes great pride in Murray State basketball. Uh, we have a great following. A lot of loyal supporters, too, uh, you know, where you have generations of families that sit behind the bench on game day. Uh, so it's, it's awesome. Uh, we travel well. And been a lot of great players come through here over the years. So because of the championship tradition, we have great facilities. Uh, and now the brand, because of guys like Cameron Payne and Job Morant, uh, the brand continues to grow on a global scale. Uh, I even saw a Job Morant jersey in the middle of that uh, brawl at Bryant University last night. It's unbelievable. <laughs> We're everywhere. Uh, all right, let's talk about this year, this team, et cetera. First of all, I was going to ask you, what, you know, coaches are normally this week really on edge, right? Like you're either in, but you're playing for seeding, you're out, you're on the bubble, you're fighting for your season. What is it like the opposite perspective to be you guys in this position right now, your season's over. Are you watching other teams? Do you just dis, you know, step away from basketball for a day or two? How does a team that that knows they're in doesn't have to worry? You don't got to worry about seeding this, that, the other thing, bubble this, that. You're in. You know you're in. Um, you know how do you guys spend this week? Do you try to keep it as normal as possible? Give the guys time off, normal practice. How do you? How, what do you guys do as as a group? It's a little bit challenging, Aaron. It, it's it's a great position to be in, uh, but you're getting this routine of basically playing every Thursday, Saturday. Uh, essentially for 10 straight weeks. Uh, so for us, we took a couple days off. Uh, we have some tough dudes who battled through some injuries down the stretch. Uh, so they need a little bit of rest and recovery here. Uh, but then you just try and walk the fine line and balance your team. Uh, we need to stay sharp. Got to stay in game condition. Uh, but you also want to arrive in that NCAA tournament at 100% health. Uh, so uh, for us, just mixing our practices, we're really big on the player development here. Uh, we do player development year round. So we'll spend a lot of time one-on-one -on -one workouts with coaches this week. Uh, but as a general theme, as we told our players, I think over these nine days, we'll either get better or we'll get worse as a team. We're not going to stay the same. So we need to take advantage of the opportunity to get better uh, because regardless of what seed we get, we're going to be playing a really good basketball team next week. And so we'll need to be ready to go. Do you try to watch other teams or is it such like a, you know, you could, I mean, obviously the bracketology has you seven, eight, nine, you know, you, there's a, a group of teams that feels like you could probably narrow it down to about 12 or 15 that you could see in the tournament. Do you, do you try to focus on those teams? Do you not focus on it? Are you following bracketology? Are you not following bracketology? What about that aspect of it? I'll, I'll watch these tournaments just because I'm, I'm a diehard college basketball fan, first and foremost. So uh, I love this time of year. Uh, look forward to watching the games. Our, our video coordinator, Mike Chapman, does an awesome job. I don't look at any of the bracketology things, but they have a list of potential opponents we could see. So they're already downloading all the films and getting all that ready to go. So once we find out Sunday night, you know, Sunday night's always a late night. Uh, it's quick turnaround. Uh, so we'll get right to it after we find out the opponent. But I'm not going to sit around here scouting 20 teams this week. I can assure you of that. Fantastic. Uh, you know, 
your team obviously an unbelievable season. You finished 30 and two, you know, post after the after the conference tournament. Let me ask you, you know, on the one hand, so sometimes when a team has a real successful season like you, I like to ask the head coach, um, when did you, did, was there a moment, did it click? You know, I had Bruce Pearl on a few weeks ago. When did you feel like, okay, we could be really, really whatever. With you guys, it's kind of a double-edged sword where, like, I wasn't going to ask you because you have a team that has been together for, like, three, four years, a lot of these guys. But then at the same time, you're coming off a of COVID year last year where it's just chaos for everybody. So did you feel really good about this group coming into the year? Was it – did you know right away this has a chance to be a really good team? Was it after a few games? Was it at the Christmas break? I mean, when did you, when did you know, like, oh, this isn't just – a team that's good enough to win the OVC. Obviously you played yourself in a position to get in that large. You played yourself in a position uh, to, to play with just about anybody in college basketball once the tournament starts. So was there a moment with this group, with this team, whatever, because on the one hand, I could see you saying we brought everybody back or we brought a big chunk back. But on the other hand, obviously with COVID last year, it kind of threw everything for a loop. Well, I would say I, I knew we would have a chance, you know, as we wrapped up spring meetings and, knowing that we had two elite players coming back and KJ Williams and Tevin Brown. So I knew we had something to build around there. And then we wanted to use the, the portal uh, to manage our roster. And we were able to add not just the right players, but the right people into our program. And then the, the last piece of that is Juice Hill, our point guard. Uh, from the first day of spring workouts, he's outworked everybody in America. And so I, I knew we were going to have an opportunity to return Murray State uh, to elite point guard play. And so you combine all that into one, I knew we'd have a chance. But as far as, man, we've got figuring out that we have some tough dudes who are all about winning would be December 10th when we're down 14 at the half at Memphis in the FedEx Forum. And we come back and win that game. That's when I knew we had a chance to do some really special things uh, with this group. You mentioned some of your guys. You know, one thing that really stood out to me is your guys as a program ability to keep a, a group of guys together. Um, you know, I, I looked this up. It kind of blew me away. You know, you mentioned John Moran, and I don't want to turn this into a John Moran thing, but 2019, you guys go to the NCAA tournament. Two guys that played big minutes in that game, uh, K.J. Williams and Tevin Brown, are your stars of the program now. Uh, you know, dumb question, but take it where you want. I, I'm kind of blown away. Like, and this isn't – I don't know if it's good or bad, but in this in this one-time transfer world, I guess what I would say, uh, you know, where everybody's looking for something new, something different, you're coming off a COVID year. Was it ever – how did you keep the group together? Because not that you're not a great coach and not that Murray's not a great place, but everybody – seems like to just want to dip their toe or look around or take a chance. And it seems like you guys have kept this group together for three, four years now, and obviously grown collectively as a group. Yeah, I think Aaron, probably a couple of things there. Number one, uh, we've proven here at Murray state, there's a pathway uh, right. to get to where you want to go. Uh, we've, we have the eighth most lottery picks in all of college basketball since 2015. Uh, we've got multiple guys playing in the G league. Uh, you hear about Ja, Cameron Payne, Isaiah Cannon, and those guys, but we have other guys playing over in the Euro League, making a great living playing this game. So I think, one, seeing that there's a pathway to get to where you want to go from here. 
Uh, two, I think just the character and loyalty uh, of guys like KJ Williams and Tevin Brown. You know, they could have gone anywhere they wanted when that rule passed in the spring. They could play anywhere in America. Uh, but they love being here at Murray State, and they wanted to be a part of building another championship team. And credit to them, they both have gotten that done, and they've left an incredible legacy here at Murray State because of that. I mean, you're talking about maybe the best duo uh, in the history of the program. It's the first time we've ever had two guys go first team all league three years in a row together. Uh, so it's great credit to them. And then finally, I would just say this, Aaron, I, we, we coach our players hard, uh, but I, I, I think it's truly a family type atmosphere. We have uh, elite assistant coaches and their families who really invest in our players. And so I, I think it's a fun place to play. You know, the style of play, we're going to get up and down. We average 80 points a game. Uh, you know, we've put guys in the NBA. Uh, players get better while you're here. We have elite facilities. We have great fans. Uh, so it's it's a special place to play, and I, and I think that's why you see this, the continued sustained success year after year. Very good. Couple one questions. We'll get you out of here. Um, you know, first of all, I'd be remiss. Like so, Ja. Um, I don't. You know, we don't need to go through everything. We know how great he is. He, you know, <laughs> it was all it was all the coaching at Murray. Let's be honest here for a second. But uh, <laughs> since, since he left. You know, so last time I had John, you guys, he was a centerpiece of what you do or what you did at the time. Um, but since he left, how great, how important is it for your program when, one, he does come back for home games. He comes back in the summer to work out. He mentions you guys. He wears a Murray State piece of paraphernalia. Uh, how has that helped the program since he's left, even as much impact as he had when he was there? How much does that help the program grow and as you said, I don't know if it becomes global, international, a nationwide brand, whatever, but how much has, has just having a guy like that come through your guys' program? And again, it was really all the coaching, let's be honest, but I'll say it so you don't have to, but um, how much does that help your program just not only when he was here, but the last couple of years? You, can, you cannot put a price tag on it. Uh, I'm really thankful to him, uh, not because he's a great player, but I, I had a vision for how I wanted our program to be built. And he really helped come in here and establish the culture of what we're gonna stand for and what we're gonna be about. And we've been able to continue to build on that since he left. And I, I would say he's done the same thing in Memphis with the Grizzlies. He impacts winning, he makes everyone around him better. And now at the end of the day, I think we all know this, he's, he's one of the most, if not the most, entertaining players in the world. So he's been an amazing ambassador for Murray State basketball and Murray State University. Uh, he gives back to our program. Uh, I, I think it's really helped expand our recruiting reach uh, across the country. And uh, it's just, it's really special. You know, he takes great pride in Murray State. And you have to remember, you mentioned it early, K.J. Williams and Tevin Brown, I mean, those are his teammates. You know, they, they, they won championships together. They, they won games in the NCAA tournament together. So they're all really close. Uh, it's, it's really neat to see uh, when you get a, a player of that caliber, you know, one of the five best players in the world. Uh, but then with that kind of character and loyalty, uh, it's, it's, it's once in a lifetime. I'm sure you've told the story a million times. 
recruiting him? I mean, obviously you didn't know top five player in the world, but was there the first time you saw him? Was there, how could, we got to, like, what was the first reaction or when was the moment where you're like, we got to hide this kid because if somebody else sees him, you know, what, what was that about? Well, Aaron, the, the scary thing was you couldn't hide him because he was on the same AAU team as Nick Claxton, who ended up being a first-round draft pick by the Brooklyn Nets. And so he, he was – there was a lot of traffic in the gym. Uh, you're just hoping some of those power fives didn't get involved. But uh, we knew we had a special player. I always remember his first day on campus. And we had one of the best players ever to wear the Murray State jersey here coming back as a senior point guard and Jonathan Stark. Average 22 points and six assists a game. And uh, his first week on campus, Jaws' first week on campus at 17 years of age, Stark came in to the office and said, you know, we're going to have to start both of us. we got to play us together. And so it was so much fun, you know, having – I mean, we had two of the best point guards in the country that year. It was unbelievable. And uh, Stark ended up being the player of the year uh, that year. Uh Jai averaged like 12, seven and seven as a true freshman. And uh, the rest is history. Uh, but, you know, one, he's, he's just so everyone gets wowed by the ridiculous plays he makes uh, athletically. But he, I'm just telling you, Aaron, this, this, he's, he's once in a lifetime. He's, his IQ, he's just a, he's a genius out there on the court. It was, it was a privilege to get to coach him. Did you, was there – I was going to ask one more jock question, but we can start to wrap here. Uh, real quick, uh, anything else? Anything else you want to say about this year's team? Anything else about – Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. I'm all ears. It's, it's all you can I mean, I, you know, I, I love all – I can sit here and talk John Morant, you know, for years, and there's plenty of time to do that. Um, but we have two guys who were on that team, and K.J. Williams and Tevin Brown, who scored 35 points uh, in, our, in our win over Marquette in 2019 so they've been incredible leaders Tevin Brown uh, said it for the last couple months one of the most underappreciated players in all of college basketball 6'5 best three-point shooter in the history of our league you know, soon past 353s over 1900 points uh, he just got his 400th assist in the championship game I mean he's top five at Murray State all time in assists so he just does a little bit of everything. His block shot to, to win the game on Saturday uh, will go down as one of the best plays in Murray State history. K.J. Williams joined Popeye Jones and Isaac Spencer. He's one of three players, over 1,500 points, 800 rebounds in, in program history. Uh, so those guys have been special. But I love our team. We got some tough dudes, Aaron. Uh, we've got a great balance. We're 15th in the country in offensive efficiency, 13th in defensive efficiency. Uh, so really looking forward to the NCAA tournament. Uh, but this has been a dream season, not because of the record. Uh, it's just been a, been a fun team to coach. Well, here's to coaching them a, a couple weeks longer. Uh, you know, maybe I'll see you in New Orleans in the Final Four as a, uh, you know, I'll be asking you a question at a press conference or something like that. So Coach McMahon, Murray State, we appreciate the time as always, man. I, I genuinely appreciate you making a few minutes. Uh, I wish you the best of luck. Excited to watch your team in the tournament. I think, as you said a minute ago, everybody over this weekend that saw your team for the first time saw uh, what a great team it was, what a great program it is, the special players that you have. Uh, and I appreciate you joining us. 
Awesome. Thanks so much, Aaron. I really appreciate it. Go Racers. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChumbaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.